This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. This episode is sponsored by Now. Stream the sports you love with a Now Sports Day membership. At the end of June, I was invited to the ultimate Now Sports Quiz at the Camden, where I met and talked to four of Ireland's sporting greats. We had a live and very lively audience who got involved and asked guests questions that were fascinating and sometimes funny. Lindsay Pete played international rugby and soccer for Ireland, as well as representing Dublin in three All-Ireland Gaelic football finals. She also played basketball for Ireland. Sean Cronin was capped 72 times by Ireland and, of course, will be remembered for representing Leinster as well. Dublin football legend Kevin McManaman has won eight All-Ireland winners' medals and Manchester United and Ireland international John O'Shea has won everything there is to win in football. Are we ready to rock? Okay. Now, it's a great pleasure to be here with all of these great uh, and distinguished sports people. Uh, all of them have done something spectacular in Irish sport. Lindsay's played uh, rugby, ga, and soccer. Garfer Dublin, captain and basketball as well. Sean is a hooker. <laughs> and he played 72 times for Ireland, played for Leinster, of course, uh, and rugby is a magnificent sport. Kevin has eight All Ireland winning medals, which is amazing. And John O'Shea uh, is a very nostalgic guest from Manchester United fans. John is a great player. Uh, he won everything, including the Champions League, five Premier Leagues, uh, played 118 games for Ireland, uh, and was a gentleman off the pitch, and a great, great player. So we're very lucky uh, to have such brilliant guests and they, we want your questions. I might ask a question or two. You can ask anything you want, but go easy on John. And he, he said to let you know, he's not coming out of retirement, although a lot of Manchester United fans wish he would. So... It's okay. going to take a lot more than that now, lads. Okay. I'd actually have you instead of Harry Maguire, and I'm not even a United fan. <laughs> now, Lindsay, I want to ask you the first question, because you've played at the highest level in three sports, uh, and I want to know which of them was the roughest. If you bear in mind the mill in Crow Park on Sunday, uh, uh, that, that was a bit of, of handbags now. It was a bit of handbags, bit of handbags compared handbags. to what you were involved with. I want to ask you which of them you found the toughest? Um, physically now or mentally? Mentally. Rugby. 
because I came from two sports that were so fast tracked to go forward <laughs> and now I had to go backwards to go forwards and I couldn't yeah. get the concept of this. Plus, I don't know whether you had this, Sean, it was like front row people, like front row players are just pigeonholed into, you, well, hookers are a little bit more, you're given a bit more license, but props are like, no, just yep. scrum, line out, don't do anything. And that really pissed me off. Right. Because... Obviously, I'd, I was a point guard at basketball. I was a wing forward and a full forward with Dublin. So for me, I come in as some someone I felt who could offer athleticism. So why wouldn't you have your front row being able to be ball players and be able to run? And yeah, a lot more like the the men's game has has evolved that you've now athletes who can actually play ball and it's a spectacle and it's, and it's a product. So mentally, from a lot of things, um, trying to prove myself, it was. I had skills that were transferable, but like, to be honest, I don't know how I actually survived in rugby because I would have absolutely shot myself if I was, <laughs> if I was someone who was well established and I had come in like I was terrible. Right. So probably rugby mentally because I felt you always had to be two steps ahead. There was so much to learn, the skill set and so many facets to the game. And I said, I just could not get my head around that. I had to go backwards, go forwards. Okay. And I broke every law that probably exists, so, yeah. Right. Now, there's someone in the audience with a question for John. It's that young man over there Hi. with the Manchester United shirt, which he's had washed. <laughs> <laughs> That's Redman TV. This is Liverpool, my friend. Uh, Ian's my name. Um, John, I have a question. I remember, it's a good while ago now, um, one of my favourite Ireland games ever was... Uh, there is a Ireland against France in Paris. It was the best, one of the best Ireland performances I've ever seen, despite the result. Okay. Uh, definitely Damien Duff from Robbie Keane's best ever games, in my opinion. But my question is this, if, if you can be honest, um, did the team revolt against Trapattoni on that day? <laughs> or what was the build-up to that game? No, we, di we didn't revolt straight up. Um, I think the team talk Trapattoni gave us that night before the game was incredible. And I think everything that he told us beforehand, you would say probably came to fruition in terms of what happened. Um, I think it's probably been well known. He mentioned we're not just against France tonight, we're against UEFA, FIFA, whoever else you want to be, the referees, you name it, they all want France at the World Cup. So... Um, I think once once that team talk was kind of mentioned, I think everything went out the window then, kind of tactics, etc. type of thing. But uh, when you know you're in a shootout like that, the shackles the shackles come off. And it wasn't as if it was a case of, you had lots of lads there desperate to get to a World Cup. So it was uh, it was a one-off scenario. And it, it, it wasn't a case of uh, disobeying tactics. We'd never do that. <laughs> Now, I have a question, Sean, for you. Um, you play for Leinster, I play for Ireland, right in the heart of the scrum. Irish rugby appears to have improved so much. Uh, and there's a hunger. You can see it in the young players coming through. How do you explain that? What's, what's changed so dramatically? I suppose... You obviously had Joe Schmidt, who came in back in 2012-2013, who obviously changed a lot in Leinster as well, brought up the standards there, transferred it over to Ireland, onto the international setup, which kind of fed into, you know, took a year or two to get success in the, in the Six Nations, won a couple of 
championships there. Um, he kind of started that now. Andy Farrell's taken over. He seems to have changed up a few things with the way we play the game and brought in a lot of younger guys, like you said. So there's been kind of a little evolution from one coaching setup to the next. Um, success, I think, has been bred by the provinces. He started off with, Mun with Ulster, won in 99. Then Munster carried on. Then Leinster took over. So um, it's, it's been kind of been bred since the early 2000s, really, with the success of the provinces, which is kind of naturally led for the step then to be taken into the international setup as well. So, and I think the fact that I think there's been a shift in the mindset where kind of it was at a time where, oh, we're kind of here, but now it's there. We can, we can win big games, yeah. beating the All Blacks in 2016 in Chicago, which fed into we beating them. All those are little steps in the kind of road to that's built kind of building blocks and success in the last number of years. So there's still that big kind of monkey in term, monkey on the back in terms of the World Cup situation, which hopefully with Andy Farrell coming in, that's a major kind of stepping stone now to lead into the World Cup next year where we can hopefully progress past the, the quarterfinal stage where we've been stuck for a long, long time. Yeah, and I, was, I was in uh, Stade de France in 2007, was it? Yeah. When there were such great expectations for the World Cup and it was a complete flop. Yeah, <laughs> couldn't have put it better myself. Uh, yeah, no, look, it has. It's been seen. 2011 wasn't much better. We lost to Wales. 2015, we lost to Argentina. 2019, we got beaten by Japan and ended up getting washed, smashed by the All Blacks. So the World Cup has been a major, I suppose, blight in the team. Yeah. From You still have guys who have been there from... It's not a few, bottle, is it? Uh, I, I, w I wouldn't think so. I would think... It's more of, look, yeah, probably some of it's mentality, some of it's bad luck, 2015, a lot of injuries. No, look, some people can say they're excuses, but you need an element of luck as well at these yeah. competitions. And I don't think you can beat around that fact that you need things to fall your way, keeping your key guys fit. So all those types of things come into when you're on the big tournaments that you need things to go your way. So uh, I wouldn't say it's bottled, but people are entitled to their opinion, you know? Okay. Now, Michael is in the audience. He's got a question for John and me. Correct? Uh, Eamon, uh, long-time listener, first-time questioner. Um, and same to John. Um, who is the most naturally gifted footballer you've ever played with? Now, you cannot do Chippy. You cannot do uh, Johnny Giles or Wes Hoolan. So the question is really good. <laughs> the question really is to John and Kev. I'll see you at the weekend, but... So, the most gifted football you've ever played? George Best. You got me, baby. Thanks, Michael. No worries, baby. It, it wasn't a plant. John? Naturally gifted. Um, naturally gifted. I'd probably say Scolzi then, if that's the case. Naturally gifted. I'd probably have to give it to Scolzi. Um, Ronaldo, you'd probably say, is a bit more mechanical, but uh, he's, he's not a bad player, Eamon, is he? He's not a bad player. <laughs> he's a cod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's apparently a big thing. I never, you wouldn't have seen it, John, because you were playing, but I was, we were doing the match uh, on RTE, and 
myself and John particularly, you know, he was doing a bit of diving Initially, and all of that. The, and, the first year or two, was it? The yeah. yeah. And I thought, this guy, he's butler. He's a diver. He won't be able to do it. And I said it on air to a plane, Roma, at Old Trafford. I think it was Roma, Italian. I said, this fellow's sick hot. <laughs> Was this, was this before the game? Before the game started? Before the game. Did we win 7-1, no? He scored a hat-trick. <laughs> so, that's my story. Now, Kevin, of all the people here, you've done what so many people would love to do. You played in that great Dublin team, and you won eight All-Ireland winners' medals, which is absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> And you played for a, a Temple Oak club. But so many times you came off the bench and changed the match with goals, points. And the, the mindset required to do that. Tell me about that. Um, <clears throat> it's been so long since I've got in the game, I've forgotten the mindset. <laughs> but, um... I, look, I guess, um, like the first first couple of years, it was probably geared into me. Like I, I had to just accept that there was yeah. I was number seven in the forward line. Um, I always felt very valued uh, as a part of the team from the players yes. and the coaches, and I just had a. I guess I, my perspective on it was that everyone is wrecked, and you just come in and you're you just run around like a nutcase, and you, it's a lot easier kind of thing. I just found it. But you have to be focused. Like on the game, even yeah. though you're you're not technically you're not part of it. Yeah, like we used to do a thing called bench hygiene, like so to make sure that in that fifty minutes before that we were dissecting the game or that yeah. we were picking out flaws and setting up our own internal game plan and stuff like that. Um, but I just, to be honest with you, I'm missing it now. I loved the pressure of those yes. occasions. I loved the idea of a game being you know, a swing game and being able to affect it in some way, whether it's scoring or passing or tackling or whatever it is. So I think, I guess it just, it always just excited me, that idea of there being a lot on the line and you've, you've got to deliver, I guess, you know. Right. Um, John, the question of money in rugby. Before it went pro, it was under the seat, was it? I don't know, Eamon, that was a bit before my time. I'm not too sure. <laughs> yeah. Probably fourth or fifth class at that stage. But uh... <laughs> Sometimes as an interviewer, you get it wrong. Okay, making the audience is going to bail me out here. He's got a question for Kevin. All right, Kev, you played in a very professional Dublin team. Who was the biggest bluffer you played with? Biggest bluffer. Um, what's, a, what's a bluffer? I just mean it was a very professional setup. Surely there was someone that wasn't training to the professional extent that every other Dublin athlete was. I know um, a super sub like you might have been, but I, I think you actually were. A bluffer, or no, 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 no. <laughs> um, 
I'm trying to think. There, the, when I joined, there used to be a kind of a Thursday night club, like led by Jer Brennan. So I put, I throw him down the list. But we'd very few. We used to have the the strong arm of leadership coming from the top, and you'd. You'd be afraid if you were out late on a night out, you'd be getting phone calls off the, the boss the next morning. So we were kind of a bit, it was a bit of an inbuilt paranoia there to be out messing. But uh, I'll uh, drag Jerry's name through the mud if you're, if you're begging me. I can't get away with that anymore. Uh, Rob, you've got a question for me. I'm just wondering who would be your three favourite football pundits currently working on TV? Mm. Um... Paul Scholes would be very is very good on BT. Um, hmm. Liam Brady would be on RTE. Pardon? <laughs> the, the less said about Richie, the better. But <laughs> they tell me he grows on you. <laughs> I think Paul Scholes is really good. Liam Brady, excellent. Um, and I think Didi Imam is very good. Suness is very good. Um, I'd be very interested in John's opinion, actually. John, would you answer for Rob? Uh, Suness, yeah. I yep. always like listening to Graham. Graham Suness. Um, Scorsese's fairly, like he was in the tackle, fairly cu <laughs> cutthroat. Um, and to be fair, I always enjoy listening to Roy as well, to be fair. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I agree. He doesn't do the game forensically, but he, he knows yeah. and, and he's prepared to say it. Exactly, yeah, and that's what, look, that's what um, Sky wanted to do, you know, yeah. that's, what, that's, what, that's what the public love him for. Yeah, yeah. Carl, where are you, Carl? Have you got a question? I've got a question for John. 2014 against Germany in Gelsenkirchen, Jeff Hendrick fixed the ball in, you stick a leg on it. How surprised you when it went in against Manuel Noir? <laughs> Ah, well, I scored a few decent goals in my time, so um, I was just, uh, I was surprised I was able to stretch my leg out that far at that time in the game, to be honest, but uh, no, look, obviously I was just too lazy to get back as well, and uh, I knew as as much as Wesley had his magic moments um, when he overhit the cross, uh, I thought, right, I might get on the end of something, yeah, and thankfully... Uh, Jeff was able to touch it back in, but as I said, the big thing was that it meant something at the end of it that we qualified for a tournament, you know, I think that's, that's always important when, when you do something like that, that it means something extra, and thankfully it did. Sean, can I ask you a question, and maybe Lindsay, you'd have an opinion as well. Head injuries in rugby, contact, bad stuff, and you see, seem to see more and more of it because the game is played at such a uh, a faster pace. There's going to be consequences, isn't there? I, I mean, American football, there was a, a class action taken, and there was, I think, five or six hundred million dollars paid to players, 
Now, they have their helmets and all that, which don't necessarily help. But, but, but uh, the people of your generation uh, and the present generation, how conscious are they of the price you're paying? I mean, Johnny Sexton seems to get it a lot, especially when you're targeted. Well, it's, it's interesting you bring up about the NFL situation where there's something brewing yep. now with players back in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s with there's something looks like it's going to come down the road soon enough right. in terms of... In rugby. Yeah, yeah. So there's obviously been a massive shift and Lindsay probably saying the women's game as well in the last four or five years around concussion. I Even recently they're, they're lengthening the... Is it the two weeks? Yeah, so it has to be increased. two weeks. Yeah, before... It, it is seven days now before we can return to play but it's got to be shifted out further. So when you see stuff like that you can probably get a sense that something's coming down the line. Right. Um, there's been a few cases where guys are suffering from onset dementia, like real terrible stuff. So yeah. there is a massive, with World Rugby, with all the organizations of really trying to get a, a handle on it now. Um, so I, like, just from my point of view, I, I'd be the, the most recent generation where we, we, are pretty, we are well looked after. There is a lot of caution around it. So, um, But I don't know, who, who knows what's going to come down the road. Lindsay? Yeah, well, I think from the, we were different in, in, at times we had like 10 to 21 days. We weren't like the professionals were turning around to seven. So like that duty of care has increased. Um, I think there's only two major studies have been done on women in concussion, um, in New Zealand and our actually onset of symptoms can anywhere between 10 and 28 days. Um, our hormone changes, ours is more whiplash. The fact that we we don't play the game as young as the, as the men is our tackle tech has come into it. So I think from our side of things, the more that we can invest in the game and do the research. Um, but it is a huge area of concern. We obviously seen, um, last week in the URC and I think in the Prem final, you know, red cars being brandished because of the shoulder and they're just trying to eradicate it out. And I think, I don't know whether you agree or disagree with me with, that I think they need to take the decision out of the referee's hands and if it's anything above the shoulder it's just a red card there's no mitigating factors or anything like this because I think at this stage you just don't know the repercussion um, because you know one one fella said if you throw a, t a tin of tomatoes at a wall like the tin the tomatoes inside you know yep. smash if you wrap it in cotton wool it's the same consequence yep. so you know whether it's a helmet or these different things so I just think you have to have one one size fits all and eradicate it because I think we don't want the same thing happening to happen in the States. Right now, Colin, I think you've got a question for John. I have indeed. Sean, why did you move from Man United to Sunderland? Why? Yeah. Good question. No. Basically, no, it's a fantastic club, that's why. Uh, first and foremost, they just finished 10th in the Premier League. Um, and obviously Steve Bruce, being a former uh, Manchester United man as well, I was going to work work with him. Um, Wes Brown had just gone there as well, a great pal of mine. And I was getting to the stage of my career where the manager, Sir Alex, had spoken to me and just said, look, you have a year left in your contract, you can stay, but maybe you won't play as much as you'd like, as you have done over the last however many seasons. And... Uh, I just weighed up all those factors together, really, and thought um, it'd be a good place to go. And it was certainly, uh, it was certainly lively. 
and uh, I, got, I got a different football education. Up you, what, you were fantastic, and thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you. Yeah, um, Kevin, the mill on Sunday with the eye gouging and all that stuff. I mean, there's always been that kind of thing in Gar, uh, particularly the football. What was your, do, do you think the press overreact to that? Uh, is one question. And the other question that I'd like to ask you is in Gaelic football, it's very hard to get the ball back. I mean, and to know what a legitimate tackle is, isn't it? Um, and does that play a part in the mills? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to know. The, the, the first question, do I think the press overreact? Like when you see some fella putting his hands in someone's eyes, it's not nice. Obviously, they, obviously there's going to be, and it was a bit of trial by social media where your man is kind of getting his getting his name yeah. dragged through the mud. I saw some fella giving out about him, saying that he was X, Y, and Z, and then a minute later, someone's asking him to be fired from his job. And yeah. then your man's defending him. Yeah. A minute later, he was just slating him and spreading videos of him. So yeah. it is what it is. Look, there was, I think there was five, six points in the game, a big swing of momentum in the last few minutes. Obviously, you know, emotions, emotions gone. It's happened a few times. I've been in a few of them over the years. Most of them... I think most players are afraid to throw digs yeah. because they know that it's obvious and you'll get sent off. So they're trying to get creative. Most of that was pushing and shoving. But because there's 20 people, because it's in the tunnel and there's managers and backroom staff, it doesn't look great. Did the press overreact? I don't know. There's no room for... There's no place for that in the game. So um, it is what it is. The best thing they can do is try and, try and stamp it out. Um, in terms of the tackle... Uh, I never learned how to tackle myself, so I wasn't great at it. But it, it, yeah. it, it was very interesting because about four or five years ago, when people we started doing stats on the game, 50% of scores in Gaelic were coming from turnovers. Right. So the natural solution yeah. was don't give the ball away. Yeah. Um, and I think it's changing a little bit. A lot of teams are getting more from kickouts and pressing on the opposition and stuff. So that, that, was, the, that was the seed of it. And then people started to stop kicking it and there was, became, and it's kind of started or became prominent up in Ulster, but it was a real like, yeah. you know, safety first approach. Like, and it's not nice to watch. I love watching some of the games because they're very tactical and there's a lot at stake in each, in each play. But you could have maybe 60 or 70 plays per team in a, in a, in a Leinster game. And then in Ulster, it might be down to 40 or something like right. that. So it's a big, it's nearly a 40, 50% difference. Um, it, it is frustrating, and that's just, just the way it's gone. I think yeah. there'll be a new wave uh, as the rules change and as, as different teams start winning and stuff like that, I think, over, over the next couple of years. So I'm excited to see a change as well. I think I've had enough of the right. slow, safe game. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, thanks for that. Now, Daniel has a question for Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. How's things? Um, Eamon mentioned the toughest sport you've played mentally. Um, obviously, you played basketball, rugby, Gaelic football, football. Which was the toughest one physically in terms of the next day recovery and coming back from? Oh, um, basketball is actually up there. It's meant to be a non-contact sport, but it is. Um, so it was sore. But to be honest, because the position I played with rugby and if you'd a wet day and there was a lot of knock-ons and you had a lot of scrums. Like I remember playing England in Twickenham. Um, 
one of my favorite games with your cousin at nine. Uh, I think it was 20, 2018, and by God, they were ferocious. There was so many hard hits and scrums, and I actually lost the power in my right arm about two weeks later because I had a bulging disc in my neck. I couldn't even lift my son's bag. So I think it has to be rugby uh, because of the position. Um, but I, I'll put basketball up there some of the times. It's meant to be non-contact, but I have so many scars from nails, and Jesus, you'd be getting back screened and blindsided and your back cracks. So, um, yeah, rugby and basketball. Okay, now last question, and I'm told it's for me, uh, and I'll ask John O'Shea. John, everyone has seen the struggles at United, and it's not the first time as a club they've struggled. Before Fergie came, and in fact, in the first three years he was there, uh, it, it was hard. It's hard for Manchester United fans now. Um, how long do you think it will take to turn that great club around? Look, it's, it, it's, uh, I, don't, I think it's probably going to get a bit uglier before, yeah. before it gets better, Eamon, uh, being honest. Um, the, the transfer window is crucial. The, yes. the, the, the next two transfer windows, obviously for, for Ten Hag especially. Um, you're thinking if they can get fourth place, yep. it's, a, it's, it's a good step yep. because the competition around them have improved their squads. So, um, if they can get fourth, they get back to the Champions League, yeah. obviously budgets improve. Yeah. Um, but, I'll say, I think they could, they could do it in 18 months, three transfer windows. Right. Three transfer windows, I think they can do it, but it's probably going to take maybe 24 months. Okay. Two years. Thanks very much for everyone, John, Kevin, Lindsay and Sean. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to them. And thank you very much to everyone for the questions uh, and for the warmth of the applause. We really appreciate it. It's great to get people who've really done things uh, we can only dream of talking about it. And it's been a pleasure to be here. I hope you've had a nice evening. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs>